0: Question for you this morning. Well, I got to tell you, this is a very, very simple message. Okay, so anyway. I've got a question for you. Um, how many, if you had the option, would like to have a trouble-free life? <laughs> is that all? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm right with you. That's another thing I got to say about this message. In this message, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not preaching something I have. Mastered. I'm preaching something toward which I am journeying. Okay? Um, now, a follow up question. Who can think of a person in the Bible who had a trouble free life? Does this tell you anything? <laughs> the problem is that we tend to view troubles as um, an aberration, like something threw us off the path of God. Something external came in and knocked us off course, knocked us out of the path of blessing, and now we're in trouble and, oh God, get me out of this. But if we look biblically, I cannot think of one person in the Bible who had a trouble-free life. Now, if we're people of God, why should we be exempt? He said, no one else gets trouble-free but Joel... You're my guy. you got a trouble-free life just as a blessing of grace from God. Wouldn't you all hate him? (laughs) How come he gets off so easy? So today, it's a very, very simple message. Trouble is normal. Trouble, I'm not trying to depress you, it's just realistic, okay? It comes. We don't go looking for it, it finds us. Trouble is a part of life in this world. And why does God let it happen? Our response to trouble should not be, oh, God, get me out of this, or why did you, where were you when this happened? But, God, by your grace, I intend to overcome. God, enable me, strengthen me to overcome this trouble because trouble's normal. But I'm not going to be crushed by it. I'm going, by the grace of God, I'm going to be an overcomer. And that is God's intention for us. If it was not his intention for us, I believe he would not let that degree of trouble come into your life. I believe passionately that God only allows the trouble into your life that you can master by his grace. Now, if it kills you, that sometimes happens. Then he'll be with you right there. If it kills you, you're beyond the reach of trouble. God forbid that it should happen, but if it does, don't waste it. Don't go to the grave whimpering. One of my favorite quotes, a lady died of cancer in my previous church. She said, we have to show them how a Christian dies. Can you do that? I'm not trying to lay it heavy on you, but oh God. I mean, you can't stop it anyway. So go forward with your head held high and your arms, your hands, grasp in the hands of Jesus and say, I'm going to show them how a man of God dies. I'm going to show them how a woman of God dies, because this is not the end of the story. Okay? That's where we're going today. Not trouble-free, but overcomers. If you have the goal of a trouble-free life, you are kicked instantly, subconsciously, into a defensive mindset toward life, Right? Everything out there is a threat to your security, to your peace, right? And so you go through life, have you seen a stray dog? Their tail's down and if you raise a hand like you're gonna pet them, they kind of shrink away. That's how, if we have a a defensive mindset toward life, we're kind of like that stray dog, we're shrinking away, we're kind of, it's pathetic, because even when no harm is intended, the dog will jump back from you and all you want to do is love it or something. So I don't want us to be stray dogs in life. I don't want us shrinking away from troubles. Everything might hurt. But instead, we have an overcomer's mindset to life. An overcomer's mindset does not shrink from life. It does not shrink from uncertainties. It does not shrink from the unknown. But it walks forward boldly with eyes on Jesus, eyes on the prize, eyes on the purposes of the kingdom of God. The purposes of the kingdom of God are bigger than my comfort. That's why sometimes we have to pay a price. Because God has a purpose bigger than my comfort. An overcomer's mindset trusts in the power and love and reliability of God. He's not too weak to save. He's not too unkind or angry to save. We trust in the love and the power and the ability to to save, and that gives us another problem, but we'll talk about that a little later. An overcomer's mindset trusts in the promises of God and the character of God. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13. An overcomer believes that God will walk with us through any trial that he allows into our lives and that anything he requires of us to do or to go through, he will enable us and empower us to go through. He does not set us up to fail. He does not set us up to get crushed. Everything here has sides. Like if you've got a whole pride issue, then he might have to crush the pride, right? He might have to take you to a place where you're not you know, coming against him in your own strength or something. But his goal, his purpose is not to crush. His goal, his purpose is the life on the other side of that, the new life of God. Okay, a okay. couple things I do not mean. I do not mean we should go looking for trouble. Okay, trouble's normal. It'll find you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. Jesus said, promises of Jesus, each day has enough trouble for itself. So don't get tomorrow's trouble and start, being, oh, I don't have enough trouble today. I've got to find some. You can bring trouble on yourself. You do stupid things. Bad things happen. I've got a bus driver friend, he says, if they are stuck in stupid, chasing dumb, there ain't too much I can do to help them. If you're stuck in stupid, chasing dumb, there's not too much God can do to help you. So don't be stupid, okay? Don't go looking for it. It'll find you. Um, there's all sorts of stupid things we do, so Stop. I do not want to turn this into a pep rally and say, trouble, bring it on, we'll knock it upside the head. I just want to encourage you this morning toward a quiet tenacity, a determination, a steadiness in your life, so that when the troubles do come, you don't freak out, you don't think, oh, God's mad at me, oh, I fell off the path of blessing, I messed up so bad, but rather, you don't doubt your salvation, um, but you just say, here it is, God, help me overcome. Okay. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The last word is belongs to Jesus, not the world. I have overcome the world. You know the story about the house on the rock and the house on the sand, right? Jesus said, I'm going to quote it, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man, wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What's the same in both stories? The storm. Okay, so you build your house on the rock, not so that the storm doesn't come, right? I'm going to build on the rock and then no storms will come. No, when that storm comes, I'm not freaking out. I'm not scared. I'm secure because I built on a solid foundation. The storms are going to come regardless. Okay, think again about Bible people. Anyone you can think of who had a trouble-free life. Can, can you think of even someone who had maybe the least trouble? It's hard to think of, isn't it? Okay, Jeremy. Say more. Okay. Okay.
1: And the rich man had
0: fewer troubles in this life okay, good. Anyone up for rich man? <laughs> okay. I thought of um, the the one that I thought of that might be closest, Thank you, Jeremy. That, now that was a parable too, right? So you get to change the story when you're Jesus and you're David. Yeah, he, he didn't stay there, though, right? You know, so he brought it on himself. Okay, okay you know what I thought of? This, this is just a little aside, but I thought of Isaac. Because he only gets like four chapters, right? He didn't have long enough in the pages for us to find out all his troubles, right? And especially contrast Jacob, Isaac. Some, he didn't even find his own wife. Someone went and got a wife for him. He went to Egypt, he gave his wife away, he got her back, he dug some wells, and that's about it for Isaac. But in contrast, Jacob, who stole the birthright from his brother and had to run away, and his brother wanted to kill him, and his he went to live with his father-in-law, and he changed his wages ten times, and just trouble after trouble after trouble. Now think of those two, Isaac, trouble-free, relatively, his dad tried to kill him, that's another trouble, okay. But we'll leave that out of the story for a minute. And Jacob, who went through life just fighting everything he saw. Now think ahead to the end of their lives, just a minute. Isaac, when he's blessing his two sons, what happens? He's too blind, he can't tell the sons apart. He blesses the wrong son, in his thought, the wrong son. I mean, we know God was in it and stuff like that. He couldn't recognize, he's got two sons to choose from, and he can't, tell them apart well enough to bless the one he intended to bless. Contrast Jacob at the end of his life when he's going to bless his sons. He's got 12 sons and he nails it, one after the other with prophetic accuracy and insight. He nails the destiny, the calling, the purposes of God for every one of those 12 sons. Not only his sons, but his grandsons, because Joseph, one of Jacob's, brought his two sons and had wanted Jacob to bless him, and he put the older on this side and the younger on that side. And Jacob crossed his hands so that the right hand would be on the younger son because he wanted to bless the younger son. Now that is prophetic insight and accuracy. Okay, trouble-free, relatively, or troubled life. Do you think God can get some mileage out of the struggles that you go through? Do you think you can maybe learn some insights Can we stop fighting this thing? From Genesis to Revelation, Bible people are in trouble. You mentioned Adam, um, and I want to just mention this. Genesis 3, to Adam the Lord said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. We are tasting painful toil. okay? Just the way it is. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food till you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Dust you are, to dust you will return. Paul says in uh, Romans 8 that all creation was subjected to futility or frustration in some translations. And the creation is waiting in eager expectation for the next phase, because it's just like this isn't right, this isn't what it was meant to be, but this is how it is, and we're just waiting, and he uses the analogy of childbirth. Creation is in the phase of childbirth, and it's like, oh, any ladies want to tell me how easy your childbirth was? Never mind, tell, tell someone else. Um, I've never had to, I don't want to, I don't think I'll have to go through that. Childbirth is the analogy that scripture uses for, um, for the preparation that we are in through our troubles. Okay. All the way to Revelation, and you have seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. I love Revelations 2 and 3. If you want to get a God's performance review of a community, of a church, look at Revelations 2 and 3. Every one of them, God says, I know this, and I see this, and I know you've done this, but this is falling short. Therefore, and he gives this what he knows and what he sees they need to do. Okay. Okay. Now, in every one of those troubles, there's, I'm sorry, in every one of those churches, all different circumstances, there's an invitation to overcome. Now, that tells you there's problems in every one of those churches, okay? If you you think there are real churches or theological churches, uh, you know what I mean. Wherever, different era churches, however you read the passage, there's going to be problems to overcome in every church and into every congregation. God gives not a corporate, but a personal invitation to him who hears, to him who overcomes. I will grant, and there's a a promise of God that comes in there. So you guys, we corporately, we have a corporate calling to overcome, but you also have an individual calling, invitation from God. If you have ears, hear what the Spirit is saying, and wherever he's got you locked up, you have an opportunity to overcome, an invitation from Jesus to overcome. He sees the circumstances. He knows. There's two churches where he says, I'm not going to ask anything else of you because it gets so hard for some of them or last day's church or whatever. And he says, all I want you to do is hang on. I'm coming soon. Just hang on. Just hang on. Some of them have to repent of this and that. Some of them have to do more. Um, One of them had lost their first love and he wants them to recover their first love. But for two of them, it's so bad and so tough that he says, hang on, I'm coming soon. Now maybe your life is that. I don't know. He knows. Maybe your life is so tough that you can't muster anything more for the kingdom of God, but you can overcome by hanging on till he comes. Don't give up the fight. Hang on, hang on. He's coming. He sees, he knows, and he's offering you the grace to overcome. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that you will not lose your crown, so that no one will take your crown. To him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Okay, now what I want to do is cruise through a series of scriptures that have God's promises and provisions for us in times of trouble, okay? So that's where we're going to go for the next few minutes. Psalm 23, everyone's favorite psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So far, so good. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Not so good. I'm back in the pasture now. I'm not walking there. Who's leading him to the valley of the shadow of death? God is. You lead me. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the very next line, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So don't ever think that by following the spirit of God that that means it's going to be all the green pastures. Sometimes it's the valley of the shadow of death. And again, it does not mean you're off the path. That's where he led you. So are you going to turn around and go back to the pasture? What are you going to do? I would rather walk forward with God through the valley of the shadow of death because his rod and staff are with me and comfort me than go back in the pasture and kick back until, I don't know, a bounty hunter comes and harvests my wool or something. I don't know. Luke 4.1, Jesus facing Satan, Um, and it says again, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit into the desert, hunger, thirst, Now, this happened right after this great, you know, Luke puts in a genealogy there where you got a whole chapter full of names and stuff and who was descended. But in terms of events, chronology, this was right after Jesus got anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went baptized, and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the very next event is led into the desert. He didn't miss a beat. Jesus didn't miss a beat. He didn't step off the path of blessing. We always want to go back to the river where God last spoke. We've got to go forward with God wherever he leads us. My favorite and um, most heartrending character in the Bible is Job. But I want to... Job had it so bad that he said, God's arrows are in me and I'm drinking their poison. God's arrows are in me and I'm drinking their poison. And he says, if only God would cut me off so that I could crush me and cut me off lest I deny the words of the Holy One. He was so bad, he was afraid he was gonna forsake God and he didn't want that to happen. Satan, Satan's attack on Job is brutal malicious, it's hateful, it's without provocation. These things happen to us in one degree or another, right? Satan fights dirty. Satan hates all that God loves. Does God love you? Yes. Does Satan hate you? Yes. Satan can't hurt God, so who's he going to hit? But God put specific limits on Satan's attack. I want you to know that from your soul. I want you to get that deep down inside. Satan, okay, um, Job 1, verse 9. Satan says, "Does does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? See, Satan would love to take us out and do everything he did to Job, right? He'd love to do that to us. It hasn't happened. Why not? There's a hedge around us. God has put a hedge around us and our household, everything we have. God, you have blessed the work of Job's hand so that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. But the Lord Lord said, very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. See, God says, you can come so far, Satan, but you can't come any farther. Right? Right? God limits, now we can be mad about, with God about the limits that he puts. Oh God, I can't stand it, right? We can argue with God all we want about that. We can't necessarily change his mind. But there is a limit to what God will allow Satan to do in your life, there is a limit. And I believe that limit meets, intersects the line where we can choose to overcome or not. So Job, uh, Job passes that test, he overcomes, so now he gets to graduate, right? No, no, not quite. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? This is after he lost everything. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin without any reason. Satan fights dirty. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life as if Job didn't care about what he had lost, and that's why he hadn't cursed God. Isn't that a dirty lie? Skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life. Stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Even when it comes right to the wall, God says a wall, Satan, you cannot cross this. God limits, God restrains the evil one to manageable proportions. And that's a statement of faith, okay, because when we're in it, we don't feel like that. But the fact behind what we feel, there's a fact, and that's God has a wall, and God limits and restrains the activity of the evil one. Corinthians 10 says, 1 Corinthians 10, God says, will he, Paul says, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can endure. I believe the same is true of our the troubles. God will not let you be tested, crushed, pushed beyond what you can endure. But will also when you are tempted, when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. It doesn't say so you can get out of it. It says so you can stand up under it. God will never leave you or forsake you. Do not count it strange at the painful trial that you are suffering. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Jesus' own example as he anticipated going to the cross. Now my heart is troubled, Jesus said. I think he hasn't been there. They're going to kill him. To come in with a mob. I'm more scared of mobs than I am of a s- single guy, you know, because mobs are just crazy. I've seen mobs. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Get, this, get me out of this. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Paul had a... S- learned the secret of contentment. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And Romans 8, I'm not even going to quote it for you, but you can look it up because the whole chapter, Romans 8, top to bottom, is full of overcoming exhortations and encouragements. It includes things that our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. It includes things like the Spirit helps us in our weakness and Jesus himself intercedes for us at the Father's right hand and that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? All that's in one chapter. If you're low, check it out. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Listen to the listen to the list. Um, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Are scared of the future? Nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We have the treasure in jars of clay, 2 Corinthians Corinthians 4. We're hard-pressed on every side. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. So why does God make us suffer? I got a list. And you don't want to hear it. Because it's never enough. When you're in the middle of it, no reason makes any difference, right? You're just under it and it just hurts and you just want it to stop. But behind that pain, there is a reason and I just gotta tell you some possibilities even though you don't wanna hear them. If you had a surgeon going to operate on you, would you want a tested surgeon or an untested surgeon? Tested surgeon, right, you don't want a rookie. You want the best guy in the house. Now, how do we get tested? Right? Yeah, we get tested by our experiences. If, um, yeah, so that's the first purpose. God can use it not to fail us, but to qualify us. You pass that test. You are qualified, and no one can ever take that away. He limits it to manageable levels. I believe that with all my heart, otherwise I would kill myself. I really would. I said, well, if it's not got me today, it'll get me tomorrow, so why, why keep going, right? So, but he ma- limits it to manage- manageable levels so we can overcome. He intends it to strengthen us and mature us. No one gets strong or mature without some suffering. There's this old song that said, can he have followed very far who has no pain, no scar?" It's like when I see um, young Christians and they're all excited about Jesus and going, Oh, God bless you. <laughs> I kind of want to hide a little while. I mean, because we're so excited for the new life, but this, Oh, God, this trouble's coming. I mean, not to scare you off the path, but it will, you know, our, our faith is tested by the scars. No scars? Where have you been? He uses troubles and and trials to burn off the impurities from us. You know, lots of times, as soon as I'm uncomfortable, I've got all my comfort, whatever, sensor is going, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, let me out. And half of the time, those are things that I shouldn't have there anyway. <laughs> it's he, It's our flesh, it's our physical comfort, it's our worldly affections. Those things are vulnerable to being burned off us, right? And we don't like that. But he, God, uses that to kind of, us cleanse us from all the stuff that's holding us back Hebrews talks about the throw off every sin and weight that encumbers us because he wants us to run free like a marathoner with his pants down or I'm trying to you know get rid of that you know it's not going to work and God wants to take off those things that are holding us back from running the race so he uses it to purify and cleanse us another thing is to encourage each other because if you've been through something, Okay, I'll risk a couple of examples. If you've lost a child, and then you know someone else who's lost a child, those two people have a bond, right, that no one else can share. They know. They don't just imagine. They know what it's like. And when I'm so blessed by people in this house who come alongside, because we've been through, you guys have been through a lot. But you don't just sit there and, huddle in a corner you use you reach out with arms of love like Jesus and you come alongside to encourage one another in those ways. I commend those of you in this house who have gone through some stuff. We've got cancers we've got child child losses we've got um, marriages hurting we've got lost spouses we've got all sorts of stuff right here Oh God but we can God will use that to encourage someone else who's not quite as far along. Okay, as a testimony, another reason, as a testimony that he is worthy. And here's Job again. Job's loyalty and love for God could not be bought. Can your love for God be bought? God, I'm afraid mine might be. If God was mean to me, then would I still love him? But Job had the character to go through and and. In the end, God is bragging about Job in his heavenly courts to Satan. Have you seen this guy? Look what he went through and he stuck with me. His loyalty was not bought, whatever Satan said in the first place. His loyalty could not be bought because we took away all the incentives and he still was loyal to God. Oh God, I want to be like that. I don't want the trials, but I want the loyalty. I want to rise above all the stuff by which someone could say I was being bought by God. God have mercy on us. Paul has a frequent phrase, to share in the sufferings of Christ. I don't understand that very well. It is beyond me. I don't get it. But the phrase comes up over and over and over. And Paul's talking about sufferings. He he calls it a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. Somehow Jesus is so with us in that time of suffering that we are sharing in His sufferings and He is sharing in ours. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted, familiar with grief. Okay, remember that bond I talked about? He can have that bond with you. You have not gone through anything dissimilar. He has, had, he has been there. He will walk with you through it. Share in the sufferings of Christ. And one more. To show that the surpassing power which enables us to bear up and overcome in these situations is not from us, but from God. When I see people go through stuff and their head is still up, oh, my friends, people from other countries in this congregation have been through stuff that I can't even Imagine. Running for days through the woods, and people are trying to hunt you down, kill your kids. And yet they come through, and they're not angry or bitter. They're just here with us. They're worshiping. They're in our choir. They're praising God. They're faithful. The surpassing power is not just in them, but a testimony that God is, God's surpassing power is in us. And when he brings the trial, he'll bring the surpassing power and we can stand up under it. So what if it kills you? I'll ask one more time. Um, and my friend Julie Saito, who died, said we've got to show him how a Christian dies. My dad died of cancer. Um, his line was, God trusted me with a cancer. God trusted me with a cancer. God trusted my dad to overcome the cancer that killed him. Not physically, spiritually, mentally. My dad overcame cancer. He was never down under it. After his colon surgery, the surgeon came in and talked to him and was making small talk with my dad. And asked him, oh, you're a missionary in Korea, cool. You know, I've been thinking about Buddhism, this and that. And he asked dad some question about Buddhism. And I saw my dad rise up from the morphine and give such a clear exposition of the difference between Christ and Buddhism and our hope and our confidence and the power of God. Out of the morphine, my dad stood up and witnessed to his surgeon. Praise God. God trusted my dad with the the cancer. Paul said, of course... um, I expect that, I'm sorry, Philippians 1. I eagerly expect, this is the Apostle Paul, and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, what's the enemy going to How do you take out someone like that if you just heap up more troubles and he just pops right back up? He just keeps going. You could, Satan could not take him out. So Satan finally says, okay, we'll kill him then. And so Paul is exalting Christ in the way that he dies. Stephen, when he's stoned, Father, forgive them. Right? Okay, I didn't mean this to be that heavy. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to discourage you. What I'm trying to do is, believe it or not, encourage you <laughs> that God's going to be there for you. He's going to be there for you every time. He's going to keep it to limits that with him in you, you can overcome. You can overcome. If you could not, he would not let it come that close to you because you're his beloved. He has that power. I've had a trouble-free life, mostly. To me, that says not that I'm so good, but that I'm such a wimp that God can't trust me with real trouble. He knows I would crumble under it. And so he says, okay, you get a free pass like Joel. (laughs) Joel hasn't had a free pass. I'm just picking on him because he's a good friend. Okay, this is not the end of the story. Praise God. God says, Isaiah 54, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, Isaiah 54, O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. And your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. In righteousness, you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. And then God says something that's very challenging to me. See, it's I, God says, who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer. God says, I, God, have created the destroyer. To work havoc. But no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. In Isaiah 61, Jesus quoted this, The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now we have this already. Jesus has come. He is binding up the brokenhearted. He's proclaiming freedom for the captives and release from, release from the darkness for the prisoners. He's here to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve. He will give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then it goes a little farther. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. Anyone got some ruins? They will rebuild the ancient ruins and re- restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers for our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of my shame, listen to this, instead of my shame, my people will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. This is our inheritance. Inheritance. Our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Our inheritance in Christ Jesus. So they will inherit a double portion in the land and everlasting joy will be theirs. After this, I heard a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are your judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged, which is good news if you've been hit by somebody, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever. And the 24 elders fall down and praise God and all of that. And they say, the Lord God Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for... The wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Oh, sorry, I'm still back in the pasture. <laughs> no, the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Blessed are you because you're invited. Two more scriptures. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And a loud voice from the throne said, Now is the dwelling of God with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these are trustworthy saints. Then he said to me, it is done. It's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from from the spring of living water. He who overcomes will inherit all this. and I will be his God. He will be my son, my daughter. Psalm twenty-three again, we have a place at the table that prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who wants a trouble free life? Anyone in the Bible had a trouble free life? Do you still want to be a people of God? It's worth it. It's worth it. Worship team, please come. I want to read one more scripture and then I want to give a benediction and a blessing. We've been studying about a blessing and I want to give it. The worship team is going to stay and lead us in worship. You can stay as long as you want, but after I give the benediction, then while they're playing, you're also welcome to come up and get prayer. If you need strengthening encouragement, if you need Jesus to come alongside you in your place of extraordinary pressure, we would be glad, we would be privileged to pray with you. I want to read as a closing encouragement from Jude chapter, Jude is only one chapter, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his gracious presence, glorious presence, without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. I'm going to pray just a second. I'm going to pray and then bless you guys, and then you can come as we're worshiping if you want, or you can take off if you need to. So, Sovereign Lord, this day, um, we've considered some hard things, Father God. And I told your people that it's going to be tough, and none of us likes to hear that, Father. Father God, will you come now by your spirit and search our hearts so that we can receive from you in our time of need whatever strength we need to go through whatever troubles you have ahead of us. Lord God, I cannot make this happen. We, your people, cannot make this happen. You are the one with the surpassing power. You are the one with the unshakable compassion. You are the God of all peace. You are the God of all comfort. We are not. Oh God, come. Jesus, come. It's not like it's easy down here. Sovereign love, Lord, wherever we are right now, come in, come inside. Make us your own. Renew in us the confidence that you are our Father, our Daddy God. You know you care. You will strengthen. You will come alongside. You will never leave or forsake us. You will walk with us through it. Even when we don't see you, Lord, give that faith like Job's. Even when he couldn't see, yet he refused to deny you or to say you were bad. Oh, God, strengthen us so we can go through anything the world or the devil throws at us. Because we want to be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace in Jesus' name.